This is the Child Discipleship Podcast powered by Awana. I'm Ross. You know who you are. Thank you for listening. And may I just say, Merry Christmas. This is our last podcast of the year, at least our regularly scheduled podcasts. And today I am joined by Matt Markins, President and CEO at Awana. Matt and I are going to talk about three significant shifts that are happening and need to continue to happen in the broader children's ministry community. You've heard Matt and I discuss a couple of these, but make sure you stick around for the end of this conversation where Matt's going to reveal one of the shifts that he sees that is kind of a sneak peek. You're going to see how this movie's getting made in real time uh, for this broader child discipleship community. It is so critically important that we are intentional about our child discipleship, that we as a community focus. And we're going to pick things up with my conversation with Matt as he explains more about why. Thanks for listening. So we're going to talk about three shifts here. The first two, again, like you just said, Ross, first two, uh, if, if, if someone's been journeying with us for a while, you've heard about them. But the third one, we've not, this is my, literally my first time to talk about this in any kind of public forum. And we're going to be talking about it a lot in 2023, especially at next year's Child Discipleship Forum. Uh, but this first shift, Ross, as you mentioned and introduced here, is the shift from children's ministry to child discipleship. Um, so for those who have read the book Resilient, by the way, if you've not read Resilient, I'm sure we can drop in the show notes. It's the subtitle of the book Resilient is Child Discipleship and the Fearless Future of the Church. But in chapter eight, we talk about this idea of, hey, is Kidman working? Is is children's ministry working? Or how would we even know if it works? Like like if, if to, to know if something is working, you have to have the ability to measure it and to evaluate it. So if you're talking about your car or if you're talking about higher education or public school system or whatever, we all have like dashboards and metrics where we can measure how something is working or not. Children's ministry is, is at a place where it's no longer what you might call an emerging cottage industry. Like in the, in the U.S. back in the 80s, you know, this thing was like emerging. It was, you know, children's ministry majors. Yeah, were, were being birthed at seminaries and Bible colleges. This was kind of a newer thing. Um, but by the time you fast forward to 2010, children's ministry is what you might call a mature uh, uh, mature marketplace, to use a crass term, uh, meaning there's a lot of resources, a lot of programs out there. There's a lot of people competing to help you with your children's ministry. But what we didn't have, we still are just really, really at the beginning of developing is a way of measuring, okay, great, curriculum A, curriculum B, curriculum C, program A, B, C. We, these are amazing programs, but how do we actually know that they work? Are they effective? Are they fruitful? And so in, in, in Resilient Chapter 8, we really walk through this conversation of we really need to change our thinking from children's ministry to child discipleship. So let's, let's talk about that. Because children's ministry is an array of things. Like if I were to to interview uh, at, at, a, at a children's ministry conference, do the the man on the street with the mic kind of interview, a uh, hundred different people, I would probably get somewhere between five to seven thematic responses around what children's ministry even is. So I would call that a spectrum. It's mm -hmm. a bit of a spectrum. Uh, or a scale of responses, uh, how people would even answer what is children's ministry. So I think with that spectrum, you can develop what you might call the shallow end of the pool and the deeper end of the pool. So in other words, some things we do are more fruitful. Some things we do are less fruitful. The, the problem is 
were many of these methodologies were birthed in a majority Christian culture. We're now living in a post-Christian culture. So our level of intentionality, the need for our level of intentionality has just gone whoop, like really high. So we we have to be in our world so much more intentional about the faith formation of children, about how we share the gospel with children in 2022. We're just not living in the same world that we were. So children's ministry, yeah, that can mean a lot of things, but child discipleship is is popping up right out of the pages of scripture. Child mm-hmm. dis- discipleship is biblical. It's a target. It's a mission and it's focused. And so uh, where are we as a church? We're at a place where we've got to shift our language from children's ministry to child discipleship because children's ministry, or excuse me, child discipleship is asking a more more focused set of questions in our post-Christian 2022 world. I think those who work with kids each and every day, each and every week, may, might feel this more than a senior pastor type or an executive pastor type. And I'm curious what you have found to be effective in how we communicate why this focus is required, particularly if someone's listening in what Dr. Rebecca McLaughlin would call like a doctor, uh, a gospel rich area, right? If they're in a part of the country or a part of the world where, you know, their church is still thriving, there's big numbers, there's big things happening, but they can tell that their children's ministry is more of that shallow end of the pool. How do the kids ministry leaders listening communicate why child discipleship matters? You know, we, we live in a very connected world. So let's say that you're living in majority Christian Dothan, Alabama, or, you know, majority Christian, uh, the Pensacola, Florida, you know, somewhere maybe in the Southeast that that's more church rich and, and gospel accessible. But, but I would kind of push back a little bit on that type of question, Ross, because of two reasons. Um, one screens. Yeah. And two, uh, what you might call cultural Christianity. So even in these areas that are gospel rich, the gospel is accessible. It's kind of woven into the culture. Um, there's two factors that I think are, are, uh, making this still a very relevant conversation, no matter where you live. Um, so let's go back to the screens. You know, the, the, a child's accessibility to what you would call secularism. You know, and not necessarily even meaning good or evil, just all things non-Christ. Right? There's just a lot of information out there in the in the whole secular world. But the the volume coming at today's child is you know it's nonstop it's 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 the waves that don't don't stop coming in the ocean so so a child's accessibility accessibility information by the age of eight, 12, 13, 15, 17 is astronomically different compared to nineteen ninety seven eighty seven and nineteen fifty seven so uh, the the need to get more intentional because of how much information is coming at today's child because they're making decisions earlier they're they're forming assumptions about the world and their worldview at a much earlier age so I, I don't really care what part of the country you live in again post Christian secular Portland. Uh, or uh, Nashville, Tennessee, which has a higher level, a higher percentage of Christians. So, so no matter where you live, the level of intentionality, we've really got to keep shifting away from language like children's ministry. By the way, not it's not bad language. It's good right. language. It's just right. not the best language. So we've got to shift to language like child discipleship because the language alone will force us to ask better questions and to make better stewardship decisions around the gospel and how we disciple children today. I think that's a hundred percent right on. I think, and even in your answer there, you articulate why this matters so much. And for folks who are listening, who are more connected to the day-to-day lives of kids, that might be 
that gap that you're feeling between the, your executive pastor or your senior pastor that you might need to explain to them exactly what Matt was just articulating. Um, now, one of the other shifts that I think is really important that you that some of our more recent conversations have been about is the shift that needs to happen on more of a, a broader church scale between more of an attractional yeah. church model to more of a formational church model. If yep. folks are new to this conversation, can you explain both what that means, but also why that matters? Sure. In in the U.S., let's see if I can remember them. But in the U.S., there's there's about five different dominant church models. Uh, one of them is what you might call the teaching model, uh, which is where you have a, a pastor who's well known for their Bible teaching, and they have a radio program and a podcast, and people come from all around to hear their teaching. Then you've got the church growth model, which is the second one. You might call that attractional, as you just said, Ross. Then there's the missional model, which is let's get out into the community and be missional and meet the needs. Um, and the fourth model would be what you call the house church model. And the fifth is what you call the formational model, which is about how do we, it's about discipleship. How do we form people in the image of Jesus? But of those five models, the dominant one. So if you can think of these as cities on a map, metaphorically, the dominant city or the New York city of those five models that I just mentioned is what you would call the attractional model or the church growth model. Uh, so attractional, um, is this, it's answering the question, how do we grow our church numerically? How do we get more people to our church? And here's what I want to make very clear. I, most churches, not all, but most churches are, have been a part of this. So if you're, if you're a smaller rural church and you're true to the Bible, you might be thinking, oh, we don't do that. We never did that. Well, a lot of smaller churches have things like revivals or you have a gospel quartet come. And so we, we do special things to attract people to our church. And if you're a mega church in the suburbs, you know, you might have a Christian celebrity come and speak and you put it out on your big sign right on the interstate so everybody can see it. So we've all been a part of the attractional model in, in some fashion or another. But I think what's critical, again, our post-Christian, highly secularized 2022 is to ask ourselves, is that model the future? Is that is that really where, where the church is going? And so attractional is answering the question, as I mentioned earlier, Ross, it's answering the question, how do we get more people numerically to our church with the assumption that once we get them there, we're going to be able to disciple them. But there's so much literature and research that has proven that the attractional model wave has already crested and it's crashing. And in this crashing mode, we're kind of in a pensive posture and there are so many researchers have evaluated it didn't actually achieve uh, what we hoped it would, which is mm -hmm. gonna, it's going to lead yield greater discipled people. Right? We started learning this in 2007 with the Reveal study. If you're not re familiar with Willow Creek's Reveal study, uh, they basically did a, a study at the beginning of the wave crashing back in 07, and it said that most people are not what they call self feeders. In other words, people who are actively making sure they're getting discipled themselves. The vast majority of people were more like consumers at the church. So all of this to say, there's a there's a shift that's happening right now in the church, and it's a shift from attractional to formational. We're at the very front end of this shift, uh, but what's formational? Formational is answering the question, how do I form lasting faith in kids? So let's compare these two questions. Attractional is answering the question, how do I get more people numerically to my church based on the assumption that once they're there, we can disciple them. Formational is actually at answering the question, well, how do we form people in the image of Jesus? What are the primary factors that tend to do that? So let's, let's, let's think of for a moment of Chick-fil-A, right? Everyone, not everyone, but most people love Chick-fil-A, right? <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> you better hurry. Sunday's coming. So you better go get it. So yep, there it is. So formational, let th- we think of Truett Cathy, who ha- there's this legendary story of Truett Cathy pounding the table and saying, interrupting the business meeting, saying, I'm tired of everyone talking about getting bigger. I want to talk about getting better because if we get better, our customers will demand that we get bigger. That spirit or that essence that's in Truett Cathy's legendary words there. Uh, that's the formational model. It's answering the question, how can we become more like Christ? What can we do to form that in children? What can we do to form lasting faith in our loving, caring adult volunteers and the people in our church? So children's ministry, let's compare these again, attractional versus formational. Children's ministry in the past has been used as a service to attractional, meaning we had to make children's ministry fun and exciting, and we had to keep getting more and more exciting so that kids would have what? Kids would have fun because if they had fun, they're going to tell their parents, hey, this is a great church. We're going to bring our friends and we're just going to grow the church by having a thriving, fun children's ministry. By the way, it's not rocket science that if you have a if you have a thriving children's ministry, you're very likely going to grow your church. Mm-hmm. But there's a difference between a thriving children's ministry that's built on entertainment and Bible light and a thriving children's ministry that's built on, of course, the basic ingredients of having fun, but also uh, the, the the new map of what we call lasting faith because it's answering a whole different set of questions. And as a parent myself, can I just say, if I found a church in my, my community that was known for forming lasting faith in kids – I would go to that church. Like that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. That's the kind of church parents are looking for. So we think we have to have children's ministries that are built on entertainment and perhaps even built on the Bible light strategy. But what the what parents are looking for and what churches have got to move to is we got to move away from a tractional model and we've got to move into formational model. Again, we're now we've now woken up in this post-Christian 2022 world. Um, we better be asking the question, what are we doing that leads to lasting faith in children? For, formational is really the future of where the church is headed. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Child discipleship is needed now like never before. We may look at the news and be tempted to despair. Fatigue and worry may feel like a constant weight around our hearts, especially as we consider all our children and grandchildren may face. Even in the U.S., we are experiencing unprecedented waves of aggressive secularism causing us to ask new questions about how to disciple our children in the digital age. But we can be certain that Jesus is king and the truth of the Bible is still as reliable as ever and that child discipleship gives us great hope. Friends, while we might face unprecedented cultural challenges worldwide and kids are facing a faith crisis of unparalleled impact, from our vantage point, we see God at work. Like never before, we see and believe God is moving and inviting us to bring the gospel and discipleship to children around the globe in new and exciting ways. We want to invite you to prayerfully explore an investment in child discipleship through once-in-a-lifetime opportunities with Awana. Now is the time for us to increase our gospel impact together like never before. Donate today at awana.org slash like never before. There are millions and millions of people that we will see in heaven who 
are there because of the attractional church model. There are good parts about it, of course. Of course. That part that you articulated that I want to highlight of, is it the future? Is it the best question, right? Like these are good questions. Did your kid have fun is a good question, but it is it, not yeah. the best Correct. question. Yeah. And what I would be curious about for you is the question of how do I get more people? And the question, how do I f- form people in, in the likeness of Jesus? There are folks who are listening who maybe feel like, okay, I just don't have any people, right? There's this tension of the attractional model has this appeal because it means that there's going to be support. There's going to be like folks coming alongside. But yet we know because we've seen in study after study, we've seen in data after data, you've seen in conversation after conversation that what the fruit of this formational model, the fruit of this discipleship is this community of folks who are invested in the future of the faith that goes so far beyond just the casual Sunday volunteer, like people who are actually in this children's ministry for the long haul. Two responses here. The first response, Ross, is... uh... There, there's no there's no shame or guilt in what we're saying when we talk about the attractional model. Yeah. Uh, attractional model has value and benefits to it. So it's not a matter, you know, and, and I, I've been a part of the attractional model. Again, we all have. So there's no shame in what we're talking about. We're asking uh, an analytical question of, okay, the, great. Here's where, here's where we've woken up in 2022. What should the future look like? So there's no shame in this conversation of comparing attractional to formational. We're just simply saying, okay, if, if, if the world's going to become increasingly secular and post-Christian, is this what we're currently doing and what we've been doing the last few decades? Is this going to continue to be the future? And, you know, everything that we're understanding about the scriptures themselves and about research is saying, this isn't our future. Our future is how do we move toward formational? So no, no shame in that, no guilt in that. If we're together as a community locking arms saying, how can we form children in the image of Jesus? That that's We're all together in that. The second thing, when you talk about, I just don't have any people, um, Gideon didn't have enough people. You know, uh, Caleb and Joshua were outnumbered by the other 10 spies. Jesus started with a pretty small group and David faced a giant much larger than himself. Th- this work is an upside down kingdom and it starts with few. The, the local church and the power of what God does through the gospel starts with few. So if you don't have enough volunteers, you start with what you have. If you don't have enough loving, caring adult disciple makers, you start with what you have. And through the faith of a mustard seed, uh, God works and does amazing things. And so again, Truett Cathy was not pounding the table saying, well, we can't grow until we get this and this and this and this. He just kept saying on the least common denominator at the local level, how do we get better? So if I have one volunteer and two volunteers and one child, you know, how can we get better and better and better at that? And through that most what do you call it? What's, what's that called in math, Ross? Uh, the irreducible, uh, the irreducible minimum. I got a theater not- major from an engineering school, Matt. You're asking the <laughs> wrong guy. The, the least wrong common question. denominator is oh, the mathematical okay. term I'm looking for. Okay. When you're looking at that most basic level of, let's say, t- let's say 10 children and three volunteers, you know, you're, you're looking at how can we do this effective? Don't yep. worry about scale right now. You've got to just think about with, with what God has given me, how can I equip my loving, caring adult volunteers to grasp the vision and to get the practical equipping and let's let God grow it from there. Amen, sir. That is a, that's a wonderful message.
So I want to talk about this new shift, which is something you haven't necessarily talked about publicly. So I want to let you kind of introduce it to folks, but what is this third shift that you see that is so critical for this community? Yeah. So the first shift is how do we change, how do we shift our thinking from children in our language, from children's ministry to child discipleship? The second one is that the church at large has to shift from attractional to formational. There's a third shift that we have actually not finalized the language yet. So we're kind of peeling back the curtain. And when we talk about this at next year's CDF in September in 23, the language may be slightly different, but for now, the shift we're talking about um, is the shift from primary to equipping. So what do I mean by that? Uh, for those of you who have been in children's ministry some time, you're probably familiar with the book by George Barner from 2003, Transforming Children into Spiritual Champions. In George Barner's book, he said uh, that that famous quote that parents are the primary disciplers of their own children. Parents are the primary spiritual influencers over their own kids. And by the way, this is this is theologically true. It's pragmatically true. It's mathematically true in terms of the number of hours. No one's arguing that. No one's pushing back against that. Uh, but we have to move our language and our thinking from primary to equipping. So let's walk through uh, why that is and what we mean by that. So let me let me read a couple of statements here, Ross. First one's this. It is true, both theologically and orthopraxy, that parents are the primary disciplers of their children. No one's arguing that. Mm. Straight out of the pages of Deuteronomy 6. Secondly, however, it's also true that by not adequately equipping the saints to disciple their own children, the church is falling short of its mission of disciple making. I'm going to read that. I'm going to read that again. So think about this. Since 2003, uh, you know, we just did this study with Barna, right, this last year, that 95% of children's ministry leaders say that parents are the primary disciples of their kids. That is an emphatic yes from the children's ministry community that says, yes, you parent are primarily responsible. Okay. Okay. We get that. We get that. That's straight out of the page of the scripture. But we did a second study this year that followed that one that said, okay, if that's the tr if that's true, how do children's ministry leaders actually spend their time? And as a community, basically we said, Children, that equipping parents is a huge level of importance, but we only spend about 5% of our time actually doing that. So the point being, um, this, this one thing, parents are the primary disciples of the kids, equipping parents is hugely important. Parents have all of this time and capacity to disciple their kids, but it's just – and then we're frustrated. Like, it's not happening. Well, when we actually ask the question, what are we doing to equip them, the answer is, well – not really a whole lot. So again, right. there's no shame here. We're, we're like looking at analytically, we're saying, okay, well, then what can we do about this? So let me read that second sentence again, Ross. It is also true that by not adequately equipping the saints to disciple their own children, the church is falling short of its mission of disciple making. So we've talked, we're talking about these three shifts here, Ross, and this third shift being from primary to equipping, we we as a children's ministry community need to make a shift. We we have been declaring, "Hey, parents, you are the primary disciples of their kids." I don't think we need to stop saying that, but we need to put a little more emphasis ourselves on actually equipping them. So, what's the conversation from here? So, I basically like a doctor just kind of analyze like. Okay, here's the problem, the diagnosis. So what are we going to do about this? As a children's ministry leader, again, thinking about these three shifts, 
from children's ministry to child discipleship, attractional to formational, primary to equipping. So that those are getting more and more narrow as we get down to the third shift. And it's all pointing to as a model, our children's ministry model, how we spend our time and energy and resources each week and each month. We have to move toward equipping. So we put on great weekly ministries for children, large group, small group, Sunday school, uh, children's church, a fantastic large group with high energy and perhaps dramas and all of these things, a lot of administrative tasks. I'm saying, okay, all of those are very, very, very important. And those are very good. But, you know, David Kinneman's data and others is saying, you know, we're just not so sure all of that energy is really moving the needle. What if we moved more energy into equipping the parents to disciples? So uh, let's let's use a very practical meta- metaphor. You know, we've all used the metaphor of the jars in the rock. Put the big jars, put the big rocks in the jar first, then the medium, then the small, and then the fine rocks in the sand. What I'm saying here is, as we look at the big rocks of our responsibilities as local church leaders and kids pastors. We've got to figure out how to have one of those larger or medium-sized rocks to be equipping. What you don't hear me saying is burn it down, scrap (laughs) it. You know, we're not saying that. We're saying, what if we could move that 5%? You know, parents are, kids pastors are equipping parents 5% of the time. What if we could move that 5% to 10% or to 15%? Like, Like, what would that do in terms of more parents getting equipped, getting vision, getting practical implementation skills and getting mobilized, would we start seeing more parents like, hey, I'm actually a disciple now. I I actually understand how to be a disciple and how to disciple my children. So so our, our premise right now, Ross, is that if, if we don't move from primary thinking to equipping thinking, you know, the children's ministry community c- could be guilty of malpractice. You know, we're, we're telling parents, hey, you're the primary disciplers, but we're not training them. So imagine going to a job, starting a job and just not getting the training and the skills that you need to do your job. That would be on the manager, right? Like shame on you for not, you know, training your team members on how to do their job. So I think that's this, this shift that we see happening right now. Two things to say to that. One, I hope those of you who are listening enjoy this little uh, sneak preview. They're getting exclusively on the podcast. This is as close to breaking news um, as I'm ever going to get doing what I do, Matt. So I thank you sincerely for what we're doing. But mo- much more importantly, what I love so much about that is you can hear the resounding yes from the community mm. when you say that. Yeah. You can hear there's so many people. Yes. Putting on these big productions is a good time. And they hear yeah, it's a lot of fun, fun as well. Yeah. But you can hear how the reason those especially those of you who weren't as matt said at the very start of this conversation dragged into this ministry you got into this for the equipping yeah so being called back into this i hope you hear this as the invitation the non-judgmental the non-shame and we at Awana want to continue to partner with you. So I'm really yeah, excited there, to hear how this conversation is zero. <laughs> they, uh, by the way, I just had a, I was going to say there's zero shame and guilt in it. This is, this is very analytical conversation. So just recently I, I, I hired a, an executive coach to coach me on, on my job. Like to, how do I, how can I get as effective as possible? And each month that I sit down with him, 
I have to do, you know, I have to prepare for that meeting and sit down. His name is Craig. I, I sit down with Craig and Craig walks me through a series of very difficult questions, evaluating myself, my thinking, my attitudes, my behaviors. Can I just say that there are times of that conversation I find very enthralling. There are other parts of that conversation I find extremely painful and I don't <laughs> look forward to it. So I, I'm saying to my peers, we have to be analytical. We have to think critically about what we're doing. No shame and guilt all in this. in all of this. We just, again, using those three shifts as a paradigm, shifting toward child discipleship, away from children's ministry, child discipleship. Okay, there's a whole series of thoughts and questions and conversations shifting from attractional to formational. Okay, there's a whole set of conversations with our team and moving from primary thinking, which is more like messaging and giving resources, but what's happening is the resources aren't getting used. Therefore, we've got to move toward from primary to equipping. It's not that parents are not the primary. They are. We've just got to equip them. And so the this series of Child discipleship, formational, and equipping is a series of three that all go together in, in a set of thoughts, which, by the way, is going to be in our upcoming book. But uh, th this is just real. This is kind of what we see happening in the church. Again, no guilt, no shame, but it is very like, wow, okay, what, what do we need to do to have the right conversations with our team, with mm -hmm. our set of volunteers, with our church staff to begin moving in this direction? Why? Because it's the gospel. It's the stewardship of the gospel in our post-Christian, highly secularized age so that when these kids are, are 35 and they're leading the church, they're going to be thriving in their faith. Like, like, like Daniel in, this, in that Babylonian world, bending and flexing but not breaking under the weight of that culture. People are going to hear much more about this as we continue to have this conversation. And as much as I would love to tell people all they have to do is subscribe to the podcast, right? I know that there are much more substantial next steps that they could be taking. And if someone's hearing this and they want to continue to stay connected to a wanna, you know, there's obviously many ways that we can do that. But my guess is you have, you would, if you were the leader listening to you, the president and CEO of a wanna talk about this, what would you want that local leader to be doing? in response to these shifts in their ministries? What would you want their next step to be? Ross, uh, Pastor Mark Sayers of Red Church in Melbourne, Australia, in his book, Reappearing Church, uh, gives a picture of church renewal and church revival. So he studied revival taking place historically, and he gives us this picture of a tide that has gone out. These, these mega tides where the, the water just keeps going out and out and out and out. And that sand that's, that's wet, it just starts turning to dry. And you're waiting, is this tide going to come back in? I think we feel like that. And we need to not, we need to not give in to hopelessness. As we, as we see kids with their faces jammed in front of screens and parents who pr probably are, they're probably learning it from their parents. And we're discouraged because we're not seeing the engagement involvement we want in our church we need to take we need to we need to remain filled with hope because that tide is coming back in and that tide's coming back in because of what's called the cycle of church renewal you need to pick up that book by the way reappearing church by dr mark sayers or pastor mark sayers we need that that cycle of renewal is when a very few remnant contend together pray together and live out discipleship 
It's not the mass scale of answering the question, how do we grow our church numerically? It's when small remnants around the world are contending in prayer and fighting on their knees and discipling the few that God works like the faith of a mustard seed and it spreads. So if I'm if I'm that local pastor and I or kids pastor or wanna leader and I'm getting discouraged, here's where I'm gonna put my hope. I really do think you should pick up that book, Reappearing Church by Mark Sayers. Um, but but I'm gonna take I'm gonna take encouragement and hope that renewal is coming and it's coming through discipleship. Disciple the few, disciple what God gives you, and let God worry about the growth. We're gonna put our energy into what God has given us. The Child Discipleship Podcast is powered by Awana. Thanks to the donations of generous folks like you, Awana partners with 62,000 churches in 130 countries to make resilient disciples. When you give to Awana, you are investing in lasting faith. Young people who will engage the culture with the gospel and fearlessly lead the church into the future. To make a donation to this mission, go to awana.org donate. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and check out the show notes of today's episode for relevant links from this conversation, as well as information about other podcasts from Awana. The podcast is mixed, edited, and produced by Marlon Washington and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. Our theme song is Fresh Air by Christian hip hop artist Josiah Williams and Hits by Jude. You also heard All Let Go, provided by Josiah Williams from his album Rerouting 2. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week.